Good morning. Good morning. Let's sing to our God together uh, as we as we gather here to worship this morning.
There we go. I like to use family language when I talk about church because we are a church family or a faith family. And in a family are a lot of different generations, all different ages. And young can learn from old and old can learn from young. And I find that children have this unique way of sometimes stopping us in our tracks or reminding us of what's really important. And I had one of those moments yesterday when my four-year-old granddaughter said, Grammy, God is happy when we worship him, right? And I thought, he is. He is happy when we worship him. And what a thought to come from a four-year-old. So I want to read this morning from Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning and your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by the ten-stringed harp and the melody of the lyre. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. O oh Lord, what great works you do. God is happy when we worship him. Let's continue to worship him together as a church family. I'd invite you to stand if you're able and I invite the kids to come forward and worship in their own way with their childlike faith. Purify my heart Let me be as gold And precious silver Purify my heart Let me be as gold Pure gold Revive as My heart's one is to be holy, set apart for you, Lord. I choose to be holy, set apart for you, my master.
Now, if that song felt a little aspirational to you, you felt like you weren't quite all the way there to what that song said, we have this next song as well, uh, just to balance out a little bit. We sing songs that speak of the things that we hope to get to, the things that we have set our heart's desire towards. But if we're not there, we can sing, then we have songs for that too, and that's what we're going to sing next. Change my heart, O God. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God, may I be like you. Change my heart, O God, make it ever true. Change my heart, O God. I be like you. You are the border. I am the thing. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. My heart, oh God, may I be like you. You are the Potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me. This is what I pray. Change my heart, O oh God. Make it ever true. Change my heart, O oh God. May I be like. Satisfied and sustained. 
At this time, we have supervised playtime for preschoolers. So if you've got preschoolers with you, please uh, take them to the supervised playtime, if you like, and sign them in there. So we've got some community news and prayer, quite a bit, actually. This week, Finder's Feast is beginning again. There's flyers out in the foyer. How many of you have ever been to Finder's Feast, even once? Put your hand up, nice and tall. Okay, quite a few of you. I just want to encourage you to try it out. It is very unique, and um, it is actually a great way to connect with people in the church over a meal. Now, maybe you're thinking, I don't have time to make a meal to bring to church on Wednesday. You can pick something up. Every once in a while... I have a day where I'm like, well, actually more than once in a while, let's be honest here. And we stop and pick something up, or I make it ahead of time, throw it in the freezer, take it out on Wednesday. There's lots of ways to get around that if that is what's stopping you. I encourage you to give it a try. There are groups afterwards and a great way to continue to connect. Or you can just hang out in the coffee in the coffee house and enjoy having some conversation with people. We still need help with setup teams and cleanup teams. There's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. And uh, there's flyers like this to take to friends, family, neighbors, coworkers, if you'd like to invite someone. It's a great way to introduce somebody to church that might not be interested in coming on a Sunday morning but wouldn't mind connecting with a group of people. This term, or this round of Finder's Feast, we have something really unique, and that is called Wind Farm, and there's more information in your bulletins. School of Jesus Apprenticeship, led by Paul and Arlene Craker. So again, there's a sign-up sheet for that in the foyer. That'll be taking place after the meal each week, and I think it's going to be really interesting and inspiring. So take a look in your bulletin for more information on that. If you are interested in going on SOAR-X, and again, more information in the bulletin as to what that is, but a multi-generational missions weekend experience. There's a meeting today at 1 o'clock. You can find out more information. Currently, we are wrapping up our series on... Currently, we are wrapping up. That doesn't sound quite right. We are wrapping up our current series that is How to Read the Bible. I think a lot of us take for granted... Uh, owning a Bible. I've got a lot of Bibles, all kinds of different versions. I guess that makes sense uh, for a pastor, but I think most of us have more than one Bible. And we don't realize that some people don't have one or have never really read one. Maybe they're interested, but they don't really know where to get one or how how to start. We've got Bibles at the Connect Center, and they are great to give away. That's what they're there for, for you to take one to give to someone. A lot of helpful notes inside, a lot of uh, guidance for how to read the Bible. So again, if you know someone that would benefit from that or be blessed by that, please go and, and grab one. And then to prepare for the upcoming series beginning next week, uh, there is an insert on that. I think they're in your mailboxes. Please read Genesis 30 to 50. That's a lot of reading. But 
you want to be prepared for this next series, which is on forgiveness. So I want to encourage you to do that. You may or may not have noticed that in the pews are some prayer request cards. This is something new. They're in this week for the first time. There is a gold bowl by the mailboxes where you can put these prayer requests in. The prayer team will be praying for these requests. You can also put them in mailbox number 200 if you like. These requests will not just be put in the bulletin unless you ask us to, but someone will be praying for you. Switching gears a little bit to people news. Last week we told you that Nettie Dick had passed away. Just want to remind you that that funeral is tomorrow morning at 11 at Friends Funeral Home. And then also um, Todd Lovinico is uh, in, currently in the hospital and under, he's been undergoing chemo and he's got some blood clots in his lungs and so he too would like our prayers. And then lastly, some unexpected news that I heard this morning, and that is that Betty Volgamut passed away last night. So she passed away quite quickly and unexpectedly. So there are no details in terms of a service at this time, but just wanted to let you know so you can be in prayer for the family. And that is Martha Regeer's sister, Ken and Cindy's aunt. And so um, there is family in the church there. So this morning, as we prepare to take our offering Let's remember that it is another act of worship. It's another way that we worship. It is an act of faith. It is saying, I trust you, God, to take care of my needs, and I want to worship you this way. I'd invite you to stand, if you're able, as we go to prayer, and then invite the musicians and ushers up as well. Let's pray. God, our heart is confident in you, and so we sing your praises with all our heart. We will wake up the dawn with our song. We will thank you, Lord, among all the people, and sing your praises among the nations. For your unfailing love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. And may your glory shine over all the earth. God, we have gathered here this morning to worship. To worship you, to lift up your name, to honor you. God, we also want to hear from you this morning. Give us hearts that are open to receiving something from you. Perhaps it's a challenge. Maybe it's a blessing or an encouragement comforting words. God, we just pray that our hearts would be open to you this morning. Lord, help us also to encourage one another. You often speak through other people, the actions of other people, the love of other people. And so, Lord, help us to be in tune with your spirit, that still, small voice that prompts us to make a call, to share a word, to pray with someone. Lord, we pray for those in our church family who are sick, who are struggling. And struggle comes in so many ways. Lord, we just pray that you would minister to each one where they're at. We pray for the Dick family as they prepare to have a funeral tomorrow. We pray that you would comfort them and be near to them. We pray for Todd, who is battling illness in the hospital. Lord, may he sense your nearness and may your healing hand be upon him. 
Lord, we pray for the family of Betty. The shock of someone going when you don't expect it is hard. And so we pray, Lord, that you would be near to the family in a special way. And Lord, may you comfort them. And we know your word says that you comfort us so that we can then comfort others with that same comfort. We know, God, you are a God of comfort. And may they feel surrounded by your presence and by your people. Lord, may our love for each other, for the church, for the community we find ourselves be palpable. May our love for each other demonstrate our love for you. We pray, God, you would bless our church, that your favor would be upon it and its ministries. And we pray, God, that we would serve you well in our lives, in our families, in our community, and even in our city. Lord, as we take up this offering this morning, we pray that it would be pleasing to you, that it would serve to increase your kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Oh 
Turning from our sin, we return to you. Father, hear your word, make all things new. Make all things new. Good morning. I'm very happy to be here today uh, to say something about my life. And I would like to thank Denver to give me this opportunity uh, to say something about my life. Uh, I remember last week uh, one man of God was preaching here and he said from there to here. And exactly from there to here is a long journey. But Denver told me to tell people from there to here in only two minutes. That is not possible. <laughs> but anyway, I will try my best because I know from there to here, uh, there is uh, a lot of things happen to me, but uh, there is a source of all those things. My name is Bin Kaniki Kakozi. Uh, I was born in Congo, Republic Democratic, and uh, I grew up in the family that uh, doesn't know even God. My community, they don't believe in God. My community believes in ancestors. And I remember when I was in the primary school, we didn't know where is the church, we didn't go to the church, but uh, the, uh, our community members were leading us maybe to sleep, uh, uh, to worship some people grave. So when you say something about God in, in my community, it was a big problem. But the time my father came from where he was working, and then he came with uh, a gospel of Bible, and then tried to teach people in our community, it was a big fight. Very, very big fight. And uh, I remember uh, I was in secondary school that time. We tried to move from the village where we uh, have been born to the city because of running away of my community. My father was, uh, the, uh, my community excommunicated my father because of that. And it was a big fight because of all people of my generation was worship ancestors. But uh, it was lucky for us because my father tried to teach us and to show us uh, the meaning of Jesus and what 
what Jesus did uh, for us. And uh, I believe that was uh, the source, that was the beginning of even myself to know the Bible, to know who is Jesus, and to believe in God. So I thank God because uh, he rescued me from my community members' belief. Most of people, or most of uh, young of my generation, they lost their life because of that. And uh, if uh, some of them, uh, some of you should have experience in Africa, maybe you should know and you should understand what I'm saying. There is a lot of uh, village, they don't know even about God right now. They don't know about the Bible. They don't know about Jesus. When you say something about Jesus or God, it's like you say something that is not good for them. So right now, uh, I'm very happy standing on front of you, people of God, to say something about what God has done in, in our family, to say something about what God changed my life, to say something about what God rescued my life from that uh, evil. To me, is very, very, uh, I'm very happy about that. And uh, I think we are all parents. Still, we have a big fight. Even uh, the family problem can even lead you in the problem. For example, right now, uh, my firstborn is 21 years old, Charles. I tried to tell him about the Bible, but he didn't understand. When we came in Canada, he joined other friends at the school, and then he was involved in drug, uh, drug dealer. My son Charles was shot uh, two months ago. They broke his, uh, his bone here, and then even now he's in, in Brandon in jail. So all this as a parent can defeat us, can bring us far from God, but I thank God because I still have that courage. I still have confidence to say yes, it happened, because it happened even to Job in the Bible. Job, Job was, uh, God did something to Job, but Job didn't lose his hope. And I think my, uh, myself, I won't lose my, uh, my hope because of something can happen in my family, my environment, my community. Because I know I have uh, a new family, I have a new community, and I have a new environment. So I just recommend you to pray for me because I have a big bet in my family. My second born is a girl, doesn't want to hear about church. Even my third one is a, a boy, is the same like my firstborn. So I have three children, they don't like even to hear about church, and I have other three children, the one who always see every day, I always come with them here. So I need your prayer and then try to help me uh, to maybe I can even save their life too. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ben. Our scripture this morning is taken from James 1, verses 19 to 27, and it's found on page 930 of your pew Bible. James 1, 19 to 27, page 930. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. 
So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious, but don't hold your tongue, don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. So as you heard today, we are concluding this series called How to Read the Bible. In a sense, this is not all that unique or special for us as we are a church that prioritizes the Bible and it is woven in to everything we do. When we gather together on a Sunday morning, we emphasize the public reading of Scripture. We open up the Bible. We get into it together. We see it as this guide for our lives. And we encourage this to happen in our individual lives when we're not gathered on a Sunday morning. The Bible is so much of who we are as a people. It guides who we are and the direction God has for our lives. But it's also good to occasionally take a step back and just examine why we do this. What is the the meaning behind this? What is the purpose behind all of this? And to again come together and agree on that, right? So that is what we've done over these past weeks. We've been guided by a model used by our family of Mennonite brethren churches. And it shows us the particular way that we as MBs understand and engage with the Bible. We are part of a much larger family. and It's important that we do this together. We began our series by asking, what is the word? Looking at the composition of the Bible and our convictions about it today. Gerald Gerbrandt then helped us see that the whole Bible is actually one big story. And it centers on Jesus and shows us God's love for all of creation. Paul Dirksen waded into the importance and the challenge of reading the Bible in community. How we can do this together. And last week, Andrew Dick led us in learning how to interpret the Bible. Carrying meaning from the original context, from there to here. And that this is available actually to every reader through fully human methods that he described. So as we hear this last sermon today, let's think of how we might respond. We're going to have opportunity to reflect back after the sermon. What have we heard? What is sticking with us? What questions and challenges remain? But beyond this, how will the Bible continue to guide our community and each one of our lives? And so now as we do each Sunday, let's make sure that we have the Bible open. We're going to turn together in our pew Bibles or our devices to James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. Let's get into this text. 
So I want to begin by asking you, what is this? Coming up on the screen right now. What is this? Rorschach test, also known as ink blot test. So we're familiar with this, right? A hundred years ago, a Swiss psychiatrist named Hermann Rorschach developed ink blot testing. He realized that these fixed images were open to interpretation. That when an observer would look at these undefined, nebulous figures, the person would project their own certainty into the ambiguity of that image. But beyond proving some notion of relative truth, Rorschach's interest was in how all this could actually reveal a great deal of what is going on in any given person. The way they perceive something shows a lot of what is going on within their person. So I'll ask you again, what is this? It's an inkblot test, but what is it to you? What does it look like to you? What do you see in this image? And we're not going to psychoanalyze each other here this morning. What do you see when you observe this image? Can anyone see a beetle? If you can see a beetle, hands up. Okay, a few people see it. Can you see a bird? Work with me here, yeah? Make a case for it. How about a dragon? Anyone see a dragon? How about a mask? See a mask? How about a few people on this? Look closely, the Jets logo. (laughs) It's there. Right at the top there in white. There it is. It's totally what it is, right? How about two elephants? You can see two. Oh, okay. It's a little different. Oh, there it is. There they are. How about uh, dogs with cones on their heads? That's a stretch. I'm sure that if enough people looked at this image with enough time, we could see a hundred different things here. And it's this kind of phenomenon that we need to be aware of when it comes to reading the Bible. We will look at the same passage and somehow see different things. In any given text, it is up for interpretation, and then, as we like to do, debate, about what should be seen as the main point. Or maybe you even pick a given word. And it's up for interpretation about the best way to translate that word. So I do believe that the Bible is actually something with its own meaning. It's not just twisted shapes that only take on meaning through our perception. There is an initial and intended meaning that the authors are trying to communicate. Bible texts do have meaning on their own meaning that has been intentionally communicated in order for us to discover. And so we must commit to disciplining ourselves to discover their meaning. We heard, Andrew, on this last week that we can learn to interpret well. We can get better and better at this skill. There are many tools and methods available to people at all levels of experience. You can start today. You can keep getting better at this task. All of us can develop ability in studying scripture and mining out the original meaning of the text. But, please factor this in. 
We can never do this purely objectively. We will always read the Bible through our perception, through the lenses, through our personality that we just cannot get rid of. It's who we are. It's how we see the whole world through those filters. But we all get this already, don't we? Do we not get this? We are well aware of our differences and even the divisions that they have caused. So then, could there be a path forward that might help us to recognize our diversity, yet continue to prioritize the seeking the truth of the Bible, to not give up on that? For myself, the hope has come in this way. The more and more I read the Bible, the more I've come to realize that the Bible is reading me. The Bible is reading me. We began this series, How to Read the Bible, with an analogy from author Megan Good. She says that the Bible is like a window in a cabin that we can look through and see the vast wilderness beyond. It's like a kind of portal through which we can see all of the spiritual life. Through the Bible, we can glimpse God. But a window can also function in a different way. When the light is just right and our eyes adjust, we can catch our own reflection. And the window now functions like a mirror. This is the analogy that James uses in chapter 1 of his letter. That God's word is like a mirror. In verse 23, he says, If you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. God's word functions in our lives like a mirror. So have you looked in the mirror recently? What mirrors have you been looking into? I'm sure that Probably all of us looked into a mirror this morning before we got ready for church, right? We're going to be seeing people this morning. Got to make sure it's all covered. Everything's in place. Looking good. Ready to go. You may have noticed the mirror in the foyer as you came into the sanctuary this morning. And there's one other mirror that I'm willing to bet most of us have looked into this morning without realizing you were looking into a mirror. And right now it's in your pocket or in your purse. You know what I'm talking about? Your phone. Your phone is a mirror. Our phones have literally become mirrors. In 2003, the front-facing camera was invented on our phones. And it was invented for a specific purpose, for the sake of video calls, this way of connecting with others. But of course, what did we use it for? Taking selfies. Yeah, we have our own ideas about new technology. What has come to be known as the selfie, and this caught on in a big way. A recent study by Google revealed that over 93 million selfies are taken every single day. 
And that's just on Android phones. There are lots of other brands of phones. So it's taken off. And what do we make of this? That we are self-centered and image-focused? That we are vain and narcissistic? Well, honestly, yes. I think we have to conclude that. Those would be accurate diagnoses. But maybe we could also conclude that we are searching. We are searching to see and to understand ourselves. We are searching to look into our own reflection and into our own lives. This is a deep hunger that is driving us. That maybe what we are in search of is a deeper sense of identity. Long before selfies and personal technology in our pockets, we know that the human heart is wired for relationship. We crave connection, this knowing and being known. And so we look into different mirrors all the time in order to understand ourselves. Literal mirrors in our bathrooms front-facing cameras on our phones, or the mirror of another person looking into their face, looking into the way they engage with us. So then, what is the mirror that we are giving our attention to? And is that mirror providing an accurate reflection of who we truly are so we could see our true selves? The Bible is the mirror that God has designed and placed in our hands so that we can be led into this deep knowledge of who we truly are. It is the most powerful and accurate mirror. I remember taking a preaching class in seminary. And in this class, each student would share a sermon with the rest of the students. And then we would all respond and evaluate that sermon and provide feedback. When it was Robbie's turn to preach, we all smiled kindly to encourage him. See, Robbie was young, and we knew he didn't have much experience with preaching, so we wanted to be especially generous for this bright-eyed greenhorn as he got used to this new skill. But then, Robbie launched in and absolutely floored us. Without any notes... He drew us in with his passionate storytelling and his clear conviction. To say his sermon was stunning is no exaggeration because when he was done, we just sat there in silence, stunned. Until someone broke the silence and said, how did you do that? That was unreal. How how did you do that? I want to do that. To which Robbie responded, I practiced in front of the mirror until it felt real to me, until it was like it was in me. So this is not meant as an illustration on how to become a better preacher, but if anyone's interested in that, sure, take it that way. What I'm getting at is the power of a mirror. A mirror has a way of getting something into our lives. And this is how the Bible works. 
When we approach it as a mirror, it gets God's message into our lives. Unfortunately, we so often use the Bible in a different way. See, the thing about mirrors is that they show us the truth. We can have a softer, more generous self-concept in our minds, but when we look in the mirror, we are confronted with those things about ourselves, those aspects of our lives that we don't really like seeing. We have to look at them and see the truth of them. There are things about ourselves we don't like seeing in the mirror. The songwriter John Foreman concluded, a mirror is so much harder to hold. So then, in our discomfort with holding the mirror, we can fall instead into wielding the mirror, turning it against others. Though it's not designed for this purpose, one way a mirror could be used would be to break it into pieces, which could then be used as sharp weapons to attack your enemy. And this is what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, does it not? For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Yes, now that is power. That's the power of the word, right? But why don't we continue reading on about this kind of blade that God has designed. The author says it cuts between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So the Bible is not actually a sword. That's not what the author is saying. At least how we would understand a sword. I think what the author is saying is that the Bible is a scalpel. It's not a sword. It's a scalpel. It is designed not for attacking our enemies, but for piercing our own lives. And why does it do that? What is the purpose of a scalpel? It's to achieve healing. It's to bring about healing in our lives. So we don't need to shy away from looking into the mirror. In James 1.25, it says to look carefully. Look carefully into God's word. Obviously, this comes through opening up our Bibles. But for a moment... I'm going to invite you to carefully look into the Word by closing your eyes. Could we do that together? Let's close our eyes. Now, as you picture a mirror, can you see yourself? Can you see your own face? How you've been created in the image of God, is beautiful and good, unique and with a purpose. Do you see yourself? Now let your eyes adjust. As you continue to see yourself, do you see how you are broken? Broken within yourself, 
and in relationship with God and with the rest of the world. And how this brokenness is actually tied in to your own attitudes and actions. Let your eyes adjust. And you see now another face coming into view. This face is that of God's revelation to you. Is the face of Jesus. The face that God the Father has given the world in order to know Him. What does that face look like to you? What expression do you see? What do you see in Jesus' eyes? Can you see the image of his face superimposed upon your own in the mirror? What does Jesus say to you? How does he name you? You are my beloved. You are my beloved. Now with eyes open, let's realize that this is the kind of conversation God wants to have with us on every page of the Bible. He's inviting us into a conversation of deep relationship. As we continue to look carefully into this mirror, we are seeing these two faces, ours and God's, more and more within the same view. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul describes this old way of relationship and identity, where it was like we had a veil covering our faces. But through believing in Jesus, that veil is removed so that we can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. This is what continues to happen in our lives as we read the Bible. The Spirit works in our lives between us and this mirror, and we are shaped to be more and more like Jesus. And as we continue in this way, we also come to realize that it's not just our own face that is covered by the loving face of Jesus. That same love covers over and transforms the face of my enemy. This mirror continues to challenge us. See, this is the deep work of the Spirit shining through the Bible. This is the power of God's Word. It's, it's actually more powerful than our ideas of power, like a sword. That the very nature of God gets into our own lives. Yes, it's very important to read the Bible, to learn what it says, to hear the words, to understand them, even to memorize them. But this is not where these holy words remain. 
They go deep into our lives as seeds that give birth to a new kind of Christ-like character. This book is not just information. This book is about inward formation. It will change your life. Here in our passage of James 1, it describes the kind of character that the Word of God shapes in our lives. Being quick to listen, being slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Are these not the root causes of all of the world's conflicts? Our default is to be slow to listen, to be quick to speak, and to have short fuses of anger and revenge. And as we carry this nature in our relationships, we mirror it in all of our interactions, and we perpetuate it outward in the world. But the good news is that we've been given a new mirror, the true mirror. And as we look carefully into the word, the face of God projects this new nature into our lives. James says it gets planted in our hearts and it has the power to save our souls. We just heard a powerful testimony about that here this morning. That the word gets planted in our hearts and has the power to save our souls. To completely alter a life, a community. And so we continue to look to the wisdom and the power of the Bible to save people's lives. That God loves to use this. This is what happens when we read the Bible. The Bible reads us. God interprets and reinterprets our lives. Far more than us examining God, when the Bible is opened up, God is examining us. He's looking into our hearts. He's looking into our souls. And he's inviting us to join him. And so there is a part for us, a responsibility for us when we read the Bible. And it's here in verse 21. And for me, I just feel like this is the kicker. This is the turning point. If you want to learn how to read the Bible, humbly accept. Verse 21, humbly accept this word of God. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. Look, I get this book is not easy to read. Don't let anyone try to convince you otherwise. It is challenging on many levels. It is complex and confusing. But what God is inviting you to is to continue to humbly accept. You don't need to be an expert. In fact, there are a lot of dangers with seeing yourself that way. No, God wants you to maintain this posture of humility, of awe before him, of trust in him, of learning and relearning, humbly accepting this work of God in your life. And yes, this surpasses our understanding. It's far bigger and deeper than we are aware or on board with. But even still, God's transforming work continues in your life. So open up the Bible. Allow the Spirit to breathe God's life in yours. 
As we do this, opening up the Bible again and again, it is like we give ourselves to this practicing in front of the mirror. And this Christ-like character is formed in us. It gets into us. And all of this happens for an even larger purpose. So that this character in our lives would propel us to live as characters in God's story. We get to live it out. That we would live out God's message in the world. James says this in verse 22. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Don't forget who you are. How did Jesus name you in the mirror? Beloved, don't forget who you are. And don't forget God's stirring view of the other. Again, beloved. No, do not forget. Allow this word to continue on in your life, maturing into full form through your works. God's word continues to grow in and through our lives and comes out in the way we live. In a sense, we haven't completed the task of reading the Bible until we have lived it out in the world. It's connected. It all flows together. This mirror of God's word reflects the new nature into our lives, but it then needs to be reflected outward to the world that God loves. When we look carefully into the word, we are filled with a new identity and a new purpose. We receive our casting call to live as actors in God's drama, performing this love story before a watching world. Every time we read the Bible, it is like engaging in the process of method acting in front of a mirror. Have you ever thought of that? When you're reading the Bible, you're engaging in method acting in front of a mirror. So that we would become the kind of characters who can faithfully present God's story of love to the world. And because this is the most beautiful story of all stories, we give ourselves to continue as students of the word. Not just skimming the lines, but allowing the script to go deep into our lives. So that we would be faithful actors of it. May God draw us into his story, and may his story continue through our lives. Amen. So we want to take some time now to reflect back on what we've heard over these past five weeks as we've opened up this conversation about the Bible. There's a lot in here for us, and I'm sure this has raised questions, this has presented challenges, or maybe there have been affirmations for you. So is there something you would share today to encourage the rest of the body here when it comes to this topic of the Bible? Who'd like to get us started? Anything you'd want to share in response to this series? I think there's someone out there Just thinking, Just getting ready over here. Hi, my name is Henry. When I look at this diagram and I look at 
our symbol that's on the wall there. It's God's Spirit. For me, when I look at this diagram, I see God's Spirit working in us through the Bible. And if we recognize that God's Spirit is leading us and working in us as we engage with His Word, then we will become transformed. We will be, we will be remade in the image of Christ. And that's my goal. Yeah, and the good news is that it's God's goal beyond our efforts uh, that are varied and sometimes failing. But as we open the Bible, God is active and present through the Spirit, speaking, breathing new life into us. Hi, my name is Theo. Uh, one of the messages that came to us from Gerald Gerbrandt about this scripture being a single story was quite resonant for me. Um, one of the verses that has stuck out to me for a great number of years and is found in Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. Call to me, God says, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. God wants to communicate with us. God wants us to know more about him. And in the scriptures, God has, in his grace to us, has preserved a record of what that has looked like over the years in many different ways. And it, is, it has been preserved for us so that when the Spirit of God comes to us, we can recognize it. We can say, this, this looks like what God has done before. This looks like what God did with Abraham. This looks like what God did with Moses, with Elijah, most critically, of course. This looks like what God did with with Jesus, and to see all of that held together, that God wants to be known, the scriptures, so that we can know God, so that when God comes to us, we can recognize God, and if, if imposters come, we can say, that, that doesn't fit, that doesn't fit, because God has preserved for us a, pic, a whole album full of pictures, so that when God comes to us, we can know what he looks like, what he sounds like, what he feels like and know God when God comes to us. Any more last words? I think my experience with the Bible is somewhat different than uh, what I've been hearing. I came from a very sinful background, and when I was 27, God just stepped into my life through a deep moving of the Holy Spirit and sort of showed me where I was and what I needed. And I, I remember the reading the Gospel of John uh, over and over and over and over again, Book of Ephesians. A uh, couple of, but particularly the Gospel of John, the book of Ephesians, they just meant so much. And it just changed my life in such a drastic way that I can hardly uh, express it. But I remember the one word, a portion of the scripture that came to me and, <clears throat> and really stuck with me was, uh, I think it's in the Gospel of John, where it said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away sin of the world stuck with me forever
power to save our souls. That's great you're still living from that experience, letting that work in your life. Acts 17.11 And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Reading the Bible has never been easy for me. It has been a challenge over the years. But the most difficult thing for me when approaching the Word of God is doing so with an open mind. And reminding myself that I need to call on God and ask for His Holy Spirit to guide me in all truth. To lead me and to teach me. It is His Word. He interprets it for us. And I need to humble myself, like you had said, and to recognize that I do approach the Word of God with preconceived notions. I need to lay those aside and ask God to lead me and guide me. He has. He has shown me who He is how much he loves me. And it is utterly amazing. He loves me so much. And I'm so grateful that I'm his child. Thank you for that, Carvin. So I think that, that puts us in the right kind of posture now that we can respond. We're, we have one closing song. And uh, as, we, as the team comes up to lead us in this song, uh, let's carry this message forward and see this call on our lives that God is shaping us to join in his purposes, to join in living out his story in the world. That even here today, he is naming us, calling us, and sending us. So let's stand and sing together in that way. Let's sing to the God who names us and calls us, and in this song especially, the God who sends us. God of justice, Savior to all, came to rescue the weak and the poor, chose to serve and not be served. Jesus, you have called on. Freely we've received now, freely we will give. We must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go, stepping forward, keep us from just seeing, move us into action. We must go to act justly every day, loving mercy in every way, walking humbly before you, God. 
have showed us what you require. Freely we've received it now, freely we will give. We must go, live to feed the hungry, stand beside the broken. We must go, stepping forward. Keep us from just singing, move us into action. We must go. Fill us up and stand aside. Fill us up and stand aside. Fill us up and stand aside, Lord. Fill us up and stand aside. Feel the sun, the sand, the sun. Feel the sun, the sand, the sun. We must go. Live to feed the hungry. Stand beside the broken. We must go. Stepping forward. Keep us from just being. Move us into action. interact with each other. We have the discussion, the sermon discussion, coffee, the library, and of course if you would like to pray with someone, there will be people available to pray with you as well. This morning's benediction comes from Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, May he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he equip you with doing all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.